0: You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, it's Aileen and welcome to episode 49 of The Music Room. Today I'm going to talk to you about pacing in The Music Room. So the reason that I came to this topic is I talked in my last podcast episode about how I had a giveaway on Instagram through my Insta stories and got so many great ideas for blog and podcast topics. And one of those was pacing. And I thought this was a wonderful topic because pacing can affect your lesson and your classroom management. So if you're able to have the perfect kind of pacing, then it's a win-win. So I thought I'd start first with what exactly pacing is. So I found this definition online from micro PD and they say that pacing is the speed at which we move through a lesson or the rate of delivery for different parts of the lesson. So as I said, pacing can really affect the lesson quite a bit because it affects how engaged your students are and it can affect their behavior too because we've all had the experience of sitting through a really boring lecture that moved super slow And the pacing was too slow, and we weren't engaged, and we were bored, and maybe if you were in high school, you fell asleep, you know, that kind of thing. So it can really affect a lot. Now, I think a lot of times in the music education space, when we talk about pacing, we're always talking about quickening our pacing, which I think as a rule of thumb, that's typically what needs to happen is that our pacing needs to be faster. However, I will say that I have seen some lessons that I thought were paced too fast. So quicker, I don't think is always better, but generally, you know, lessons typically need quicker pacing, but not always. Sometimes it's too fast. And, you know, I think especially just having Kodai training that we are so focused with the Kodai philosophy on lots of singing and lots of activities, which is great because kids really do need that a lot of times. But If we're not giving them time to reflect on their learning and we're not giving them time to discuss, then we're not extending their learning as we could. And that, you know, you can add discussion and reflection into your lesson and still keep up good pacing. All right. So this will probably be another quick little podcast. The last few podcast episodes I have done have been pretty quick. But today I'm going to talk to you about five easy ways to improve your pacing. So number one is to talk less. This is something that I learned in my Kodai training that I think is so important. I think sometimes when we're teaching, we think we need to explain everything. So, you know, example of this would be, hi, first graders, today we are going to sing Wee Willie Winkie. And the reason we're doing this is because it's a great song and it'll help us learn so me. And this is what I expect you to do, that da da, da 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 you know, now you may be in a situation in which your administrator requires you to have more clarity with the students about what you're doing. But I still think that we can talk less, even if you're asked to be clear with what you're expecting of students. So it could be simply like the title, We Really Winky is on the board and you do ready sing as you're pointing to the title, right? Or it could be that you play it on the recorder and they figure out it's We willy really, Winky and off you go. So I do think it's important that you are clear with your expectations with students, and we'll get into that later. But I think a lot of times when we are doing activities or songs with students, it could be, you know, if you want to do echo clapping or something, instead of being like, oh, hey, boys and girls, I'm going to do some four beat echo patterns and I would like you to be my echo. You could just say, be my echo and start clapping, and off you go. So again, just being like more succinct with what you say really helps that pacing because then an activity that may have taken seven minutes, might then only take four because you're not talking so much. And I think a good way to get around, you know, if your administrator is asking you to have more clarity with students or more transparency about what you're doing in a lesson, I have an agenda on my board and I've talked about that in other podcast episodes, but I really love that agenda because I can show students what we're going to do in that lesson. I don't mean that You know, I have every single song title up there because sometimes, you know, I am playing a song from the recorder and they have to figure out what it is. So I don't want to say apple tree if they have to figure out it's apple tree. So you could just say mystery song or singing game or that kind of thing so that not everything is spelled out if some of it is discovery learning and you want them to figure some of that out. But at least gives those kiddos that really love to know what comes next kind of like a map to follow. And then if your administrator wants you to do I can statements, then you could put your I can statements up there. Or if they want essential questions up there or whatever that might be. And I do sometimes, you know, pause and say, "Can someone read the first I can statement?" And they read it and off we go. Again, I don't have to have this huge discussion about why this is important. Again, maybe your administrator wants you to do that, but I really do think that you can be more succinct with your words and have better pacing that way. All right, so that was number 1, talk less For number two, routines. So having some kind of routine that the kids know what they're doing when they enter the music room, it really helps with that pacing because they just know this is what we do when we come to music class. So I will give you an example. With first grade, I often have them come in singing a song or speaking a chant that they know. So let's say apple tree. As they're, you know, following me into the room and I'm winding them into a circle, I'll give them a ready sing and we sing apple tree. And we went into a circle and we play the game and they always know we begin music class with a singing game or with a chant or some kind of game. Once we're done with that game, then we sit down and I do Here We Are Together, which is a great gathering song. If you have another gathering song, that works too. So it's just, oh, here we are together, together, together. Oh, here we are together in music today. And on the day I have them hit the ground you know, like the ground in front of them. And then we go around the room and sing everyone's names. So we would do like, with Mrs. Miracle and Macy and Jenna and Scott. And you keep going around the room, right? And then at the end of that, after we've gone through everyone's names, then we sing, oh, here we are together in music today. And then after my gathering song then I go into solos and I apologize I don't have a tuning fork with me right now so I'm just pulling a pitch out of the air but for first grade I would sing hello first grade and they would sing, hello mrs. miracle and I might sing how are you today and they sing back to me however you're doing I am tired or I am excited or whatever And then we have a few questions back and forth as a group, and then I'll ask anybody who would like to sing a solo. And I have a little toy microphone that I use, and I usually listen to maybe four to six students sing solos every day. I have heard of some music teachers singing to every single student, and that could work too. I just like to do maybe four to six a day. And then at some point in the marking period, I have listened to all of the students sing a solo, and some of them I've listened to several times. And so after we do the solos, and I have my iPad out and I'm marking down on a four-point rubric how they're doing with solo singing, just so I know from my information. After we do the solo singing, then we go back to The first song that they came in doing and we do something concentrated with it. So in this particular sample lesson, I was talking about Apple Tree. So we come back to Apple Tree and maybe I work on TT and Ta with it or maybe I work with So and me on it or whatever. I do something concentrated with it. Now, I will say this is not like how everybody does it in the Kodai inspired world. There's a lot of variety in how people do this. I have had people say to me that they don't like going back to a song, you know, because I have had Apple Tree and then I had a gathering song and then I had solo singing. Some people might want to move on to a different song instead of going back to Apple Tree. That's totally fine. This is an aside here, but you know, some people think of Kodai as a method, but I really don't like using that word when it comes to Kodai because it's not a prescribed way of doing things. There is so much variety in the Kodai philosophy in many Kodai-inspired classrooms all over the world. So That's just the way that I do it, but you could totally do it a different way. The important piece that we're talking about here is that there is a routine. So my first graders, when they come into the music room, they know what to expect. They know we're gonna wind into a circle. We're gonna sit down and sing our gathering song. We're gonna do solos. And then we're gonna come to the board and do something concentrated. And then the lesson goes on from there. And like I said, I think that helps so much with pacing because they just know what to expect. And it's not like, what are we gonna do now? And they know so they can, go to their spots. They know we're sitting down. Now we're doing the gathering song. They know to scoot up to the board, all that kind of thing. And I was actually, I just took a responsive classroom training for special areas teachers, which was so awesome. If you ever get a chance to take that training, I highly recommend it. And I was really excited in the book and in the training to see that routines are a part of responsive classroom. And I think this is something that a lot of us do as music educators. I'm going to give you one more example with older students. So with my fifth grade, I've tried a few different things and I'll give you two different things that have been successful. And I kind of go back and forth between these two ways of starting the class. So I had been doing a singing game, but obviously we're using, you know, older material for fifth grade. So let's say we come in and we sing like Chumbra or Son Macaron or something like that or YouTube drum and we do a game with it. And then I have been doing a mindful minute with them, which I got the wording from a book about mindfulness. I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head, but I will try to find that and put that in the show notes, which by the way, just in case maybe this is your first time listening to the podcast, my show notes are on my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com. And then you can click podcast to find this episode, which is episode 49. And I will put the show notes in there. And I'm also turning this podcast episode into a blog post. I'm fleshing it out. So you could read it or listen. So I read a, you know, a minute because it's called a mindful minute. And I read it's something to the effect of lay down and make yourself comfortable. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. And I read it nice and slow. When I start the mindful minute, I play my wind chimes and that's their signal to know The Mindful Minute is starting, and I should give a shout out to Tanya Lejeune because she's really who got me thinking about mindfulness, and then, like I said, I bought this book. So I have this whole script, and it's really just like, if you ever listen to the Headspace app, it's pretty similar to that. It's just a minute of mindfulness, you know, relax your body. If your mind tries to think about other things, try to make your mind blank, breathe in, breathe out, you know, that kind of thing. So I read the Mindful Minute script, and The more I've done it, the more comfortable students have gotten with it. Not so many giggles or anything. And they just know, okay, we're going to do a mindful minute. We spread out and I don't have to go into this huge conversation about where they should go and how they should lay in that kind of thing, because we've done it so many times. So again, that can help improve pacing. And then we go on from there. So that's the first way that I've started lessons. But the second way, which I've also tried recently, instead of starting with a singing game, we start with some kind of mini listening lesson. So it's typically a YouTube video. And because it was Black History Month this past month, I was using I have these musician of the month sets that I can also link to in the show notes. So the first one we did, I actually started in January, was Wynton Marcellus, who I absolutely love because I'm a trumpet player. So we started with some listening lessons for Wynton Marcellus, and we were just listening to like one a day. So we would watch, I had like a great video of him on CBS Sunday morning playing When the Saints Go Marching In. So they would just come in, sit down in their spots, and we would watch it. And then I would have a few questions to ask them before we started watching it. And then we would revisit those questions after they started watching it. And we would discuss and then we would do our Mindful Minute and we'd go on from there. And this month we've been doing Billie Holiday. So like I said, each lesson was like a different video from that musician. So we did. I love the Carnival of Venice that Wynton Marcellus plays. It's John Williams conducting and Wynton Marcellus on cornet and it's amazing. What was nice about the consistency of that is after three or four lessons, I could say like, which musician have we been studying this month? And they were able to answer. So I really liked starting that way as well. But the important part is that routine and them knowing what to expect. Okay. Way number three to improve your pacing is simply to remember the attention span of children. I learned a great rule of thumb. I think when I was actually an undergrad to think of the age of children, and think about that in terms of minutes. So like a five-minute activity would be good for a five-year-old. A six-minute activity would be good for a six-year-old. And I think that's a great rule of thumb. Do I sometimes break that? Yes. But as a good rule of thumb, in a 30-minute lesson with kindergarten, you could have like 10 different activities, right? Because they don't have a very large attention span. And keeping them moving, keeping that pacing going and those activities going will really keep them interested and engaged, now I have been doing some projects with fourth and fifth grade where they might be working on something for like 20 or 25 minutes, and that's that totally works. They are ready for that, but as a general rule, when I'm writing a lesson, I like to think in those chunks. No more than five minutes for five-year-olds, no more than six minutes for six-year-olds, that kind of thing. And I think using that as a general rule, with the exception of something like manipulatives or rhythm dictation with dry erase boards, that's just going to take longer because you have the passing out of the materials and that kind of thing, or projects on GarageBand or that kind of thing. There are exceptions, but I think as a general rule, that really does help your pacing. All right, way number four to improve your pacing. This is something I've been doing ever since I started my Kodai training, and I still do it. I'm 21 years into teaching and I'm still doing this. I write times into my lesson plans. So on my lesson plan template, I have, it's just in Word, or you could do this in Google Docs. I have a column that has pretty much like estimated time. This is how much time I think this section of the lesson is going to take. And I still fill that in. And I don't necessarily always follow it. Like sometimes something takes a little bit longer and that's okay with me. Like I'm not a stickler, like, uh uh-oh. You know, they're asking too many questions and this is going over time. But in my lesson writing, it is so helpful to have that time in there because it really helps me see the lesson as a whole. And it helps me to make sure that I'm not spending too much time on any one thing and I'm keeping my pacing going. I do have a couple free lesson plans in my TPT store that I can link to, one for kindergarten and one for first grade. So you can see... My time allotted and what that looks like so that if you want to try that in your own lesson plan writing You can and I know that there are some people out there that are a little bit more relaxed with their lesson plan writing Than maybe I am and really to each his own I'm not trying to tell you that this is the way you have to do things But I think if you feel like your pacing could be a little bit better I think this is a great strategy to try Because a lot of times with my lesson plan writing, I am scripting out a lot. I'll write what I'm going to say. And maybe I probably don't have to do that. I've been teaching 21 years. You know, if someone were to say to me, well, you don't have to do that. You're right. I don't have to do that. But I just I prefer to do it that way because it really helps me think through things. But even if you had like an outline of this is what I'm going to do in this lesson, maybe this is a lesson that you have done for years and years and years and you don't feel like you need to write out a huge long lesson, you could just simply have, you know, a word document or a google doc that has a bulleted list of what you're going to get through and it has times next to it i think this is going to take me five minutes i think this next part of the lesson will take me 10 minutes and i actually do this um, when i present workshops as well so after i create the packet for a workshop i'm usually doing like four hour workshops unless it's at a conference and then they're usually one hour after i put together the packet then i will go through every single thing that i'm doing in that workshop and i'll write down How many minutes do I think this activity will take? And that helps me know, do I have enough material? And that's really, really helped me in workshops because then I can have like an activity that I know I might cut if we run out of time, or I always have a couple things that I could add into a lesson if the workshop is actually going quicker than I think it is going to. And that's kind of a good general rule for writing lesson plans in the elementary music room as well of having like a, okay, we're going to cut this because we're out of time or... Oh, I'm going to throw in this little activity here because the kids were so well behaved. We got through everything and we have three minutes left. So really knowing how long you think something is going to take is so helpful for pacing. All right. Way number five to improve pacing is simply to observe students. If you are doing an activity and you're looking out at your students and you see that they're just getting a little bit antsy, maybe it's time to move on. Now, maybe you have kids that are antsy no matter what, but if like the majority of your classes, you're looking at them, you see them getting too antsy. Move on, even if your lesson plan doesn't say you should. I think this is kind of hard, especially as a newer teacher to understand, like, I've written this lesson plan and I'm going to follow the lesson plan. And I've seen student teachers who have kind of struggled with that. And I completely get it. I at one point struggled with that, too. You write this beautiful lesson plan and you want to implement it exactly how you wrote it. Well, sometimes that's not what's best for students. You have to go ahead and move on to something else because... ready for something else. And on the flip side of that is sometimes students are super engaged with something and they're asking all sorts of awesome questions and you are tempted to move on in the lesson plan because your lesson plan tells you you should read the room and look at what your students are telling you and go with that. I mean, you could always make notes to yourself of what you did and didn't get to so you can keep track of that. But I have this one second grade class that there are a couple of students in there that are a little bit challenging and as a whole they're a little bit challenging and I was teaching them yesterday and I actually had two different assessments that I was going to do with them which I don't typically like to do two in one lesson like that but it just kind of worked out that way that I was doing two different things where I was checking their understanding of step and skip and I was checking their understanding of round versus ostinato if they could tell the difference between the two and I was looking out at them and I'd already done one assessment and that went fine, but. I A, knew that I probably wouldn't have enough time because their behavior isn't as good as some of the other second grade classes. And B, I just decided they don't need need another assessment right now. I'm just going to fit it in somewhere else. I'm going to make myself a note and we're going to figure out where else to put that assessment in some other lesson because they need to move right now. So we played Kingsland and it was a joyful experience and it was the end of class and I lined them up. So really being able to kind of gauge where your students are at is helpful. For pacing. All right, so just review those five ways, and I'm sure there are others. I would love to hear from you if you think of any other ways that you think uh, pacing could be improved. Feel free to go to the show notes or blog post and comment. I would love to hear what you have to say. Way number one was to talk less. And something else, one more thing that I could mention with talk less that I didn't mention when I was initially talking about it is you can also have like signals that you do to students so that they know what to do. So for example, instead of saying, OK, everyone, now it's time to stand up or OK, everyone, can you sit down in a circle? I will simply do like ready sing as I make a motion of a circle with my finger and they know, oh, we're supposed to sing. We are dancing or whatever we're doing as we move into a circle. That can also be a great way to improve your pacing. So way number one is talk less. Way number two is is to have routines that your students know. Number three is to simply remember the attention span of that child in that grade level. Four is to write times into your lesson plans or keep that allocation of time in mind. And number five is to just observe your students and read the room. All right, so I hope that's been helpful to you as you think about pacing in your music room. I would love to talk about what I'm consuming. (music) All right. So I already kind of touched upon this, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. Last week was called Responsive Classroom for Special Areas Teachers. It was a fantastic training and they have a book that's specific to special areas teachers called Responsive Classroom for Special Areas Teachers, which I will link to in the show notes. It is a really great book. I was super excited to get it for free. And I say for free, but it wasn't exactly for free because my principal (laughs) paid for the conference registration and that came with the conference registration. But I've eyed that book a few times at music conferences and thought, oh, that looks interesting. I wonder what that book is like. And the book is really, really great. So we were able to dive a little bit into it during the one day training, but There are whole sections of the book that we didn't get to touch upon because we were only together for a day. So now I'm going back through the book and I'm reading like I just finished the chapter all about routines. And even though I'm already using routines, it helped me rethink like, okay, should I change it up a little bit? Are there any other routines I could add? That kind of thing. And I think it would be a really wonderful book study. If you do book studies, especially with special area staff, that would be a really great one. All right. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening in my next episode, which will be episode 50. Woo-hoo, I'm going to be having Katie Minichi back on the show, and we are going to talk about lesson planning. I actually got this idea from Tanya and Carrie from Music Teacher Coffee Talk because they had a really great episode, which I will link to in the show notes about lesson planning. And they gave specific examples. I think of like a kindergarten lesson plan and a fourth grade lesson plan, but because Katie and I actually both teach the same grade level and the same classes, like we both teach third and fourth grade and I have them one time and she has them the second time. I thought it would be really interesting to talk about what let's say a fourth grade lesson plan looks like with her and then what it looks like with me or third grade. We haven't decided yet which grade level we're gonna talk about, but I thought that would be interesting. So that will be episode 50. Thanks again, I really appreciate it and have a wonderful day, happy teaching.